Hey, welcome to the Street Shots Photography Podcast with the Switch to Manual guys. I'm Antonio, and I am alone today. Tom is still in Arizona. He's not coming back to New York, and I believe he is working on a paper for school. So I guess we're not going to hear from Tom until after the holidays. I wanted to squeak in one more episode before the end of the year, uh, just as sort of a little gift. And... Uh, this stuff has been on my mind a little bit uh, about my workflow. Uh, and I was just on recently the uh, Allison Sheridan's chit chat across the pond from Nozilla cast. And she had me on. We talked about black and white photography. And it was a long, good conversation. I think I could chat with Allison for hours about photography. And I believe during the conversation, I think. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, Allison. You wanted me to talk about how I'm converting my pictures to black and white or some sort of workflow. And maybe I, we didn't get to it. And I wasn't being elusive. It was just the conversation was going in a direction. And I think we just ran out of time. So I could have gone for another couple of hours. But I wanted to spend this episode, again, sort of as the last one for the year, uh, squeeze it in so that you guys can have it, you know, just after Christmas. And I wanted to talk about my street photography workflow. You know, this is something that Tom and I probably talked about a little bit here and there during the course of the podcast. But I figured, let me just go from beginning to end in one fell swoop, and we'll call it a true confession. Um, this is going to be episode, what are we up to now? Sorry, episode 35, I believe. Make sure I squeak that in so I don't get the numbers in. And I thought because I've got the keys to the car myself, I'm going to go for a ride, take you guys with me. And again, this is going to be heavily about my workflow going from my, you know, what I'm shooting to my final output. And it's probably going to be pretty Fuji heavy. So that's just sort of a heads up if you guys want to sort of tune out and come into the next episode when uh, Tom and I are back together where we have a guest. You can, but for those of you who are interested in the workflow that I do, I thought maybe you would want to hear me drone on for a little bit about what I do. So let's let's start off. I, I'm first a very big Fuji camera guy lately. Uh, I've been Nikon for a while, and I, you know, I bought these Fuji cameras in the past couple of years. Um, I'm really jonesing for a new one. Well, Victor and I were talking about this on our on the 30th episode about gas, uh, gear acquisition syndrome. And, uh, you know, so I'm jonesing for a new camera just before the end of the year. Every photographer wants to do that so they can get it in before taxes. But I'm really wanting one of the Fuji interchangeable lens cameras, whether it's the X-T10 or the X-T1, or uh, there's another model that has an optical viewfinder. I just don't know it off the top of my head. It's got the interchangeable lenses. I want one of those cameras. I'm not going to get it. I don't have the money to get that. Uh, right now, I'm staying with my Fuji X100T and my Fuji X20. Both great cameras. I just want to expand a little bit. But anyway, the workflow is, is interesting from a point of view of um, what I've been doing for years with my Nikon camera, uh, up until I got the Fuji cameras, I've been a big proponent of shooting raw and converting them in Lightroom to JPEGs or, you know, just keeping the whole workflow as a raw workflow. 
Uh, you probably heard me a bunch of times saying now that I've gotten the Fuji cameras, I've flip-flopped 100%. Mainly that's because the cameras uh, are doing so well at in-camera processing and the Fuji JPEGs look really, really nice. Particularly with the um, X100 camera that I have, X100T, um, I wouldn't say less so with the X20, I think, but they just have different kind of sensors. And the X100T, it's a... Uh, I think an X-Trans sensor or X-Trans 2. Uh, again, I'm going off the top of my head. I'm trying not to be too geeky about it. Uh, they've just done something to the way it processes the raw files that I love. And so my my general workflow has gone from, you know, taking pictures, bringing back the raw files to Lightroom, processing them, and then, you know, making JPEGs out of them and sharing them on Flickr or something like that. Now it's the workflow is let me shoot my Fuji camera and I'm shooting raw plus JPEG. So I always have a raw backup. The camera processing is generally pretty good for me and I'll be using those JPEGs directly for my uh, processing. I mean, for my um, sharing and uh, uploading. Uh, I always do shoot raw because I want to have a raw backup, but I love the JPEGs. You know, sometimes the camera processes the JPEGs just perfectly. Um, the Nikons I've seen don't, you know, the ones I've owned, just they're not that great. There's nothing wrong with Nikon cameras. I just don't like the, you know, in-camera processing for the JPEGs. Although I, I have used it on occasion when I needed to give a client, you know, quick files and stuff like that. Uh, I think in my limited experience with Canon cameras, I use them at work, uh, and I mostly shoot video with them. But the JPEGs from those cameras don't thrill me too much either. Uh, again, nothing wrong with Canon cameras, nothing wrong with any other cameras. It's just, you know, this time Fuji has done something in the inner workings to the camera. So anyway, you know, let me just go through my work. Let's let's go through a day. All right. So in the morning, I'm generally up early. I'm out to go get coffee before I go to work. And I'm bringing my camera with me and I'm bringing my iPad with me. And if I'm lucky on my way to work, sorry, on my way to the coffee shop for breakfast, you know, I might catch a few people to photograph. And then um, by the time I get to the coffee shop, I can process it. Often I don't because it's, I get up really early before the sunrise and it's kind of dark out. So I'm not shooting and there's not many people out, so I'm not photographing them. Uh, but then when I'm at the coffee shop, I'm often processing uh, what I photographed maybe the day before. Uh, the stuff is still on the camera, so I'm transferring it. Um, so anyway, I'm walking Let's say I'm walking to work. I'm generally walking to the train. I go the same route most of the time. And I often see sometimes the same people, but usually, you know, different people. And mainly I'm photographing by, you know, I have the camera over my shoulder and I'm doing a lot of fancy maneuvering so that someone doesn't see me photographing. Whether it's I'm futzing with the camera strap and then sort of you know, grabbing onto the shutter by accident and, and flipping the shutter. And hopefully nobody sees that because they're saying they're paying attention to me adjusting my strap. And they're not seeing me hold the camera and I'm holding it with, you know, my finger on the trigger. It's firing the, the camera off. Often, sometimes I'll be looking down. I'll try to look down at the camera screen to see if I've lined up the shot um, so that I'm, I've got my subject in the frame. I'm also positioning myself at a certain distance from my subject's and often I'm pre-focusing or getting the camera ready 
to focus. I'm, 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 as I'm walking up to somebody and I see, Ooh, there's a, you know, someone who's going to look great on film. Sorry, <laughs> on film. I'm <laughs> dating myself. There's someone who's going to look great in my picture. I'm trying to find something that is about the same distance as they are. And I am touching my shutter down halfway to lock focus on something that's about the same distance. And so when I walk by them, uh, the camera is not hunting for focus and it's taking the shot. As a, as a side note, what I've noticed with my Fuji camera, the X100T, is that it has a little trouble focusing really fast. And I really wish Fuji would address this. I know that they've come out with firmware updates and... My camera's got the newest firmware update. I, I had it serviced a little bit, and uh, they put a new firmware update, and they said, oh, it's going to focus faster. I said, okay, well, you know, it's not really. Um, and I know that the sensor also has a hard time focusing on certain horizontal lines. Um, and so if you're just focusing on horizontal lines, it, it's it's troublesome. So, But it's not. I'm, I'm tending to focus on people. And I've noticed that when I'm doing it really fast, it it the camera doesn't always focus. So it's a, it's kind of a crapshoot sometimes. Again, I'm shooting from my hip, so I'm not looking through a viewfinder. So I'm hoping the camera is picking up the, you know, the subject fast. It's not. So I'll sometimes pre-focus the camera. Also, what I'm doing is, I'm, you know, my settings are generally in manual. Uh, the one thing I do leave on auto, uh, even though we're switched to manual, I leave the uh, ISO on auto. Um, because I'm going into different lighting situations and I'm really wanting the camera. I don't want to sit there and adjust the ISO every time I go into a new lighting situation. So I'm leaving it on auto and the camera is fluctuating between ISO 200 and 6400. By the way, the Fuji camera at 6400 is beautiful. I would shoot almost every picture at 6400 if I could. It's just so nice. There's very, the noise is not, I wouldn't even call it noise anymore. It's, it sounds negative. The grain in the file looks so natural, looks so filmic that it's just, I can't even describe it. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful texture that it has. Uh, and that goes for actually pretty much all the ISO settings on, on the Fuji camera. But 6400 is great. So anyway, I'm, I'm presetting my, my shutter speed uh, because I'm walking at a certain speed. I want to make sure I stop the motion. And I'm also setting my aperture at Generally, depending on the lighting conditions, I want to be able to have some depth of field because in case the focus is not quite on, at least my subject might be an acceptable sharpness because they're within the in the depth of field range. You know, so maybe my range is uh, if I set my aperture to f8, maybe my range is seven to ten feet. You know, so I've got a three foot window of space where the picture is going to be acceptably sharp. And so I'm, I'm generally stopping down my aperture enough to make sure I can get, uh, you know, I have some uh, margin of error for focus. Uh, it's not, doesn't always work, you know, and again, I might be in a dark situation where I can't stop down that far. So, you know, if I stop down to F16, you know, I really can't shoot at a 500th of a second, uh, especially on cloudy days, you know, it's just, there's not enough light and I can't pump up the ISO enough. Uh, on the camera. So I, I basically find my range, again, it's basically to stop motion, my motion mostly, because I'm moving. Uh, the subjects I'm often photographing are not moving. Um, although I do, will, I will get people who are moving at me and stuff like that. So I do want to stop motion. So my shutter speed is important. My aperture is, I'm going to say secondary, but it, it's going to help me lock focus. Uh, and the ISO, you know what, I'm going to let the camera handle that because it does a pretty good job 
Uh, so it gives me a lot of leeway. Again, I'm doing street photography, so I've got to work fast. I don't really have time to sit there and change the ISO. So anyway, you know, let's say I'm walking to the subway and I've got people. Often you'll see some of my pictures of people uh, standing around. There's a there's a area in my neighborhood where a lot of day laborers wait for contractors to come by. And they're often in these great poses. Uh, and I love grabbing shots of them. And, you know, I... I would love to get a do an original uh, project where I'm going up to these guys and, and taking their pictures and, you know, doing portraits of them and they know it. Uh, but generally, I don't know what their situation is and I don't know what, you know, whether or not I can do a project like that. And if I did a project like that, I might not do it with my digital camera. I might do it with a film camera to be more, you know, open about my project. So if I had like a large format 4x5 old style camera, that I could set up with a tripod and take pictures. Maybe that would happen someday. Anyway, I haven't done that yet. So right now I'm I'm grabbing shots of these guys while I'm walking by. Hopefully they don't know I'm taking pictures of them. I also do that because I, I don't want the pose shots. I really want the pictures uh, of the people in their natural way. And so, you know, I'm grabbing them on the sly. So I'm walking by them. I'm taking shots. I'm generally hoping the focus is on, you know, I'm not just taking them randomly. I'm looking at their positions as I'm walking up to them and, uh, you know, boom, 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 shoot, shoot, shoot. You know, by the time I get to the subway, you know, I go into the train, I might take a few more shots in the subway station. If you look at my Instagram or Flickr account, you'll see pictures of people in the subway as well. Uh, by then I've, Sometimes changed my settings because the subway is darker, so I'll often go with a slower shutter speed, mainly because nobody's moving, uh, and probably a wider aperture because I want a little bit shallower depth of field. Again, the lighting situation in the subway is much darker than outside. Uh, also, I want to say that I will sometimes use my iPhone and the Fuji application, and I will connect it Wi-Fi to the Fuji camera so that I can trip the camera using my phone. What's interesting about that is that the phone app has a screen and it's showing me what the camera is seeing. So I don't have to play the little strap game while I'm walking around with the camera. I can keep the camera on my shoulder and I've got the app running on my phone and I'm looking down and I'm seeing what my camera is seeing generally to the right of me because I wear my camera on my right side. And I can take shots that way. The Interesting thing about that, there's a couple of downsides to it. First of all, the Wi-Fi connection is iffy. Again, I wish Fuji could uh, somehow solve this. It may not be their issue. It may be just because I'm in the city and there's a lot of Wi-Fi going around. But it's not always reliable. So there's a delay on the screen to what I see. So I have to sort of time myself to take the picture using the Wi-Fi. I got to sort of plan ahead. If I see something and I'm walking, I tend to take the picture uh, flip the trigger on the iPhone app first, and then hopefully the camera has caught up, you know, half a second later, and my picture is in frame. Also, there's there's a delay for the the app to get back into the live view. So after it takes a picture, there's sometimes a delay waiting for the shot to show up on the iPhone and then go back to live view. And then I could miss the next shot because I'm often walking, so I can miss that. Um, it works a lot when... It works pretty well when I'm standing still and I'm I'm looking at a subject who's interesting and I'm sort of standing there 
and I'm firing away, and they're not moving, and I'm not moving, and I'm sort of able to sort of explore the situation a little bit. It works okay there, so the delays aren't so bad, uh, generally because I'm not moving and the subject is not moving as well. It's kind of cool to do that. Uh, it does allow me better framing uh, when I'm taking the shots, and it's a lot of fun to be able to, you know, sneaky grab a shot using the iPhone app. Um, but I use that when I can. And then also I'm able to use that in the subway because it's actually a little bit better in the subway because uh, there's less Wi-Fi signals down there. So I believe it's a Wi-Fi issue that causes it. But I wish somehow maybe the camera put out a slightly stronger signal. So anyway, by the time I get into the subway and taking the train to work, I you know, will often start looking at the pictures that I just took. And I will you know, perhaps see some that I like. And I will open up my iPad and turn on the uh, Fuji app that I have on there as well. It's the same app that I have on my iPhone. And from that app, I can browse the pictures on my camera and I can start transferring pictures from the camera to the iPad. And I, you know, I'll do this while I'm taking the train into work, but I'll also do it like at the coffee shop or I'll do it in a, you know, a down moment at work when I'm just sort of sitting around and I have nothing to do. I will fire up the transfer application and I'll start looking at the pictures that I've just took. Now the transfer app is going to take the JPEGs that the camera has produced and transfer only those. It will not transfer the raw files. This is not like, you know, if you can plug in the camera adapter for the iPad or iPhone uh, and then use the, uh, directly transfer the pictures from the, the card of the camera to the iPad, those will actually transfer the raw files. But I'm not interested in processing the raw files on my iPad. I'm more interested in processing the JPEGs uh, because I already like the JPEGs. And the raws, again, are just for backup prop purposes. So I'm kind of not using that, uh, that method at all. Uh, and also it takes a little, bit, a little more space on my, my iPad. The JPEGs are smaller than the raws. So uh, I really only want to just work with the JPEGs. And I know there's a couple of raw processors on the iPad and the iPhone, but I don't use those. I use the my my app of choice, and I said this on the chit chat across the pond was Snapseed, mainly because it does very very gentle processing to the pictures, and I'm generally wanting to only process the pictures a little bit. I'm generally adding some contrast and stuff like that. So, and I want to be very gentle because they're JPEGs. JPEGs cannot take a lot of processing in either direction, uh, and the shadows and the highlights. I don't want to blow those out or, or crush the shadows too much. So I want to be gentle with it. And I'm also not out there to over-process my pictures either. I'm generally doing some little contrast adjustments uh, to get sort of the flavor of the picture I want to get. So let's move on. Uh, all right, so I've transferred the pictures to the iPad. And I'm going through them. And, and it allows me then to look at the pictures a little bit larger. Uh, Oh, let me go back. So on the camera, sorry, my settings on the camera are I have a certain recipe that I've set up as a picture profile on the Fuji camera. Fuji has created this process, uh, sorry, a picture profile called Classic Chrome on their camera. Everybody was talking about it when this camera first came out. I remember Zach Arias was talking about how much he loved it and a lot of other people were. And uh, when I got the camera myself and I started looking at the pictures, that I was making using the classic Chrome picture profile, I was in love with it too. There's just something about the what it does with skin tones and colors. It's a muted, saturated, you know, it's kind of contradictory. 
uh, color palette. It does remind me of the old days of Kodachrome, for those of you who remember film. Uh, it has a Kodachrome-like quality. It's not exact, but there's something reminiscent about it. And that, with the way the X-Trans uh, sensor produces grain, it's beautiful. So I basically am shooting everything on my camera using that picture profile. So the JPEGs that are coming out are color JPEGs. Now I notice you'll you'll notice when you go to my my Flickr site, there's a lot of black and white in there, and I was shooting black and white in the camera. I was letting the camera do the processing, and in fact, I was using the black and white with green filter picture profile, meaning that it was acting as if I had put a green filter on the front of the lens, which would then render certain colors in black and white nicely. So greens would get a little bit lighter. Skin tones did really nice with skin tones. Um, that's that's what a green filter does when you shoot it uh, in black and white. And I was doing that, but then I was I found myself limiting getting my, my images were limited when I would process them because they were only black and white. And sometimes like, well, if I want the color, I have to go back to the camera and find the raw file and then I can reprocess it. By the way, Fuji's raw processing in the camera is an incredibly good raw processing engine. It does a very good job with Fuji files. So I'll often spend time with my camera looking at the, the, the files in the, you know, in the little LCD screen and I'll reprocess them, uh, reprocess them using the processor in the camera. So if I shot in black and white, I can, you know, the, I'm looking at the JPEG in black and white, but because the raw file is in there, I can reprocess it to classic chrome or a saturated color chrome or, or whatever color profile is built into the camera. Uh, another main reason why I shoot JPEG plus raw, because if you only shoot JPEG on the Fuji cameras, you cannot reprocess the picture in the camera. It needs the raw file. So I'm going to have the raw, raw file in the camera, and then later if I want to reprocess it and say, you know, I want to adjust the shadows a little bit, I want to adjust the, the, the highlights, I'll use it, I'll, I'll reprocess in the camera, and, and then I'll create a new JPEG from that, and then I'll transfer that JPEG to my processing, you know, my iPad or my iPhone, wherever I'm going to do the processing. So often I'm always shooting in color. Uh, that gives me a fast option if I want to process the, I mean, if I want to output the picture in color and then share it in color. Um, I it, Again, like I said, at some point I was only doing black and white. A couple of people said, hey, man, we'd love to see the color versions of your pictures and imagine what these shots would look like in color. And I started to say, okay, I'm not going to only do black and white. I'm going to do color and black and white. So anyway, the, the image that goes into the iPad is often always color. And then in Snapseed, I will decide, uh, again, depending on the subject matter, whether or not I want to process it in color and black and white. So if I go to black and white, I'm bringing it into Snapseed, and I'm using Snapseed's version of converting to black and white using a green filter. It's a little bit different than the built-in one on the Fuji camera, but it's essentially the same thing. It's putting a sort of software green filter in front of the colors and is rendering the colors as if you were shooting the picture, um, a black and white picture with a green filter over it. You know, foliage gets a little bit lighter because uh, green is is more sensitive. A green filter is sensitive to, you know, it's letting in green light. Things that are, are red tend to go a little darker. So skin tones actually start to look a little bit more dark and Sometimes it doesn't work for some of the people I photograph. I'll often, I will be photographing people with darker skin tones. And if I use the green filter, the skin tones tend to go a little bit 
more dark than I like them to to go, and then I, I clearly can't see like their face, you know, if they're, especially if their face is in shadow. Um, so, but I'll I'll default to a green filter processor. But the but Snapseed's default conversion to black and white is very nice. It is a nice range of tones. Uh, it's kind of like a you know it's a panchromatic film. Panchromatic meaning multiple colors. It's it's doing a nice job with all the colors, and it's giving me generally nice skin tones. Uh, you know it's it's darkening the sky a little bit, not too much, as if I was using a yellow filter simulation or an orange filter or even red filter. Um, so that my default setting is either neutral conversion in Snapseed or black and white with a green filter conversion. Uh, again, sometimes I'll go red or orange or yellow, depending on the the situation. If I go red, often the skin tones get way too light. They look kind of fake and glowy, but sometimes it's worked. It depends. All right, so I bring it into Snapseed. The first thing I'm doing is, is I'll either do a black and white conversion first, or I will crop it into a square. Often the pictures I like to show the most are square formatted, mainly because I, as I was talking about it on Chit Chat Across the Pond with Allison, my main sharing platform for these pictures is Instagram. I made a definite um, choice to start Instagram as a place where I'm gonna show my street photography. So I got used to the square format there. I know recently, Instagram has now allowed you to do horizontals and verticals uh, as well as squares. Although I have noticed that you get, if you do the horizontal, you get the full horizontal picture, which is nice. But if you do a vertical picture, it's still cropped a little bit. I and mean, it's almost like a four by three aspect ratio, uh, maybe a little bit less than that um, uh, in the verticals. I don't know why they're not giving you the full vertical like they're giving you the full horizontal uh, options in Instagram. But, you know, that's the way it is. But mostly I'm, I'm converting it into a, into a square format. Again, that is based on how I want the picture to look. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a subject matter based. If there's things that are happening on the sides, I will often just go horizontal. I'll leave the uh, two by three aspect ratio from what the camera does uh, or vertical. I'll, I'll leave that on. But again, it's the picture that dictates. Um, but again, mostly a lot of my pictures are single people, in a, with the background, and I think a square is really nice. I mean, I've always loved shooting square when uh, I have a I have a square format film camera, and it's a lot of fun to do that, uh, to, to shoot square. So that's kind of where I go with that. So the first thing is, you know, black and white conversion. Uh, I'll crop it into a square. And then in Snapseed, there is some uh, mid-tone contrast adjustments that I do. So let's say I converted it to black and white. There's a... Midtone contrast adjustment. They're they're calling it drama, in the um, in in their settings in in uh, Snapseed. It's this thing called drama. It's a, and and it can be a little bit extreme for certain pictures. And it what it does is that it tends to adjust the contrast in midtones. Uh, it tends to do uh, something really odd when you have a really high contrast like black or white. It kind of leaks out into the, the tones start to leak out a little bit. So it starts to look a little fake HDR in a way. So I have to be careful with that because if there's a lot of high contrast, like I, I shoot a lot of people with black jackets on, and when I use this drama filter, it actually makes the jacket come out almost gray. Uh, and some of, the, some of the black, some of the dark tones begin to leak out into 
the lighter tones of the picture. So you can dial that back nicely, and I and I do so. Uh, I just find that sweet spot. Um, but I like a mid-tone. I've always liked mid-tone contrast adjustments. Uh, I like to boost them up a little bit. It's just my flavor. It's my recipe. And, uh, you know, I'll do that. And, you know, I'll, I'll adjust brightness and contrast a little bit. Um, maybe not so much contrast, but I'll adjust the brightness of the picture. Uh, if I'm doing black and white, I'll obviously don't do any temperature variations to, to change it to a warmer tone or, or cooler tone. Uh, even if it's a color shot, I generally don't do that. I like the color tones that are coming directly out of the camera. So I'm kind of leaving the temperature of the picture alone. Uh, but I'll do some brightness adjustments a little bit. And after that, I will add what's called, let's see, on, on Snapseed, they have something called structure, which is, I wouldn't say it's a sharpening, but again, it kind of tightens up some of the tones in the picture and acts, it acts like a sharpening. Um, it's, it, I, I can only describe what I see rather than what it does, because I have no idea what's going on under the hood. But uh, it again, it's working with uh, mostly mid-tones, not so much the highlights and the shadows, but it's taking these mid-tones and it's somehow making them, it's um, consolidating them a little bit, and it pulls them together and helps render out textures really nicely. Uh, I used to do, when I was working, uh, making pictures for the Botanic Garden, uh, one of the things I was doing a lot was making sure that I was highlighting the textures of the place. And because Snapseed is part of, Snapseed came from Nick Filters. Nick Filters had this structure-like um, setting in their in their filters in Photoshop, and I would often use that to accentuate some of the textures I would see uh, at the Botanic Garden, in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. And that sort of carried over into my black and white work. Um, I, again, I don't do it all the time. It's the subject that dictates it. But if I see something, a lot of texture, I want to show off the bricks and the skin tone, the skin wrinkles or the wrinkles in the jacket, uh, I will give the, I will dial up the, the structure of the picture uh, in, in Snapseed. So let's see. Well, okay, we went over, I did, okay, conversion to black and white. Uh, I may not convert to black and white. I might leave it, you know, as a classic Chrome picture. Uh, I might do drama. I might not do drama. That's a filter again. I don't know why they call it drama. Maybe it's just dramatic that it does these these mid-tone contrast adjustments. I'll do uh, not sharpening, but I'll do the structure that adds, uh, consolidates the, the edges a little bit. Um, and sometimes I'll do a vignetting. Uh, again, it depends on the on the subject, but a little vignetting to me, can help the picture, can help draw the eye into the subject. Uh, I don't, again, I don't want to go overboard where I darken the edges so much. Uh, what's nice about Snapseed is it allows me with a pinch, you know, on the iPad and the iPhone, you can pinch the zoom. So you pinch in, you can zoom, you can make the circle, the vignette larger. Actually, if you pinch in, you make the, yes, you make the vignette larger, which means it's more darker corners. If you pinch out, you make the vignette smaller. So the vignette goes to the corners and there's less of an effect. But you can dial up and down the outer brightness, but what's really nice is that they have an inner brightness as well. So I use a little bit of vignetting and I'll darken the, the edges just a little bit. Again, it depends on the subject, but I'll also sometimes brighten the center, which is usually someone's face. Um, so when I look at the before and after, what ends up happening is that it's, it's kind of like a, a swap. 
the person might be slightly dark and the background might, might be really bright. But when I do this vignette adjustment, the background goes darker a little bit and the face lightens up a little bit. And so automatically my eyes sort of drawn in right to the person and maybe less so to the background. Again, it's a matter of degree depending on the subject. I might not always do a vignette because sometimes I want to see the, the information in the background and it, it works with the, uh, with the subject matter, uh, with the person in the foreground. Generally, it's a person I'm shooting. Uh, and I think, you know, sometimes vignette can be overused. I, I try not to use it too much with the color pictures. I tend to use it more with the black and white. The color pictures will the vignetting shows up a little bit more obviously and I don't know, it darkens. And also when you darken color pictures, the colors tend to get a little more saturated. And I like to keep my colors not too saturated. I like a certain color tone to it. So, all right. So we went through the whole thing. Uh, import the pictures, Wi-Fi to my iPad. I'll use my iPhone when I don't have my iPad with me because Snapseed works on there. It's just a little smaller. Uh, crop, uh, drama, filter, uh, you know, like somewhere in there I might have converted, like I said, the black and white drama filter, structure filter, some vignette. Boom. Generally, I'm done at that point. Then uh, Snapseed has the ability to export a JPEG, you know, with all the with all the information baked into the file. I'll do that. But what's really cool is that Snapseed also has the ability to save the picture with all the adjustments in a metadata file that will stay on your iPad. This way you can load up the picture again in Snapseed and re-edit it. Sort of like if you're doing in Photoshop with layers. It's a, it's a non-destructive editing process. I generally don't do that. I tend to export the file in Snapseed as a, as a sort of baked JPEG so that all the effects are baked into the file because I've noticed that there are some applications on the Mac when I transfer my pictures that don't read that metadata. And so if I only rely on my Snapseed image and the, the metadata that Snapseed has produced, and then I go to transfer the file to say my desktop on my computer, there are very few programs that will actually read the metadata and show me the processing that's done in, the, you know, to the image. So what I'll look at, I'll see on my desktop is an image. It just looks like a plain image. It wasn't processed. So if I do a a big JPEG, then I know the picture has been processed. I can see it. And, you know, maybe if I save it into Dropbox, which I do sometimes as part of my, my workflow to back up, I'll actually see the picture. But, you know, for instance, Dropbox, if I put the image in Dropbox and I look at it on the Dropbox app, Dropbox can't read, at least up till now, is not reading the metadata. So it's just showing me, it's like, why isn't that picture processed? I swear I just spent, you know, 10 minutes on it in, in, uh, in you know, Snapseed. So, Anyway, I will bake the bake the JPEG, uh, and I will output that. And at some point, when I start doing all my image transfers to Lightroom, I will find those JPEGs and I'll bring them into Lightroom as well, and keep them with the original raw files that I shot. And plus the JPEGs, the the unprocessed JPEGs that I have too, they'll all sort of sit in the same folders. Once I've output the uh, big JPEG to my iPad, then it's ready for me to share on Instagram or and or Flickr or Facebook. I'll, I'll put stuff on Facebook sometimes. And, you know, Instagram will, you know, rep Instagram reprocesses the picture and compresses it even more. So the pictures tend to lose a little bit of quality uh, in there. But again, I'm out there, I'm putting them on Instagram because I'm creating this portfolio of, 
my street photography there. And so, you know, given the parameters that Instagram has, I'm okay with it. But like if I'm uploading to Flickr, I upload the high res JPEG file and it tends to, you know, when I go up, I know that Flickr is recompressing the picture, but it's not doing it as much as Instagram or not at least visibly in my eyes. And so I'll have a, a shared picture on Flickr as well. And Flickr and, and Facebook does also its own compression. So I'll put, sometimes I'll, on, on Facebook, I'll link uh, a Flickr or Instagram picture uh, just because I think it's, I think that those pictures will look better on Facebook than when Facebook actually processes them. So, all right. So we went through the whole, right. I'm going through the steps. One, two, three, four. Yes. So those are the steps I go through. Uh, I'm often not processing the picture in Lightroom when I'm done, you know, after a week's worth of shooting, uh, I don't transfer my pictures every day. Now this is one of those things like do as I say, not as I do, you know, I will tell students, you know, you go home, you worked on a, on a, sh on a job, you know, take those pictures and put them, you know, directly onto your computer, transfer them immediately. And if I'm doing a job, I will do that. I will, you know, I, someone's paying me. I can't take the chance to lose the picture. So I'm going back and transferring them. For some reason with this Fuji X100T, I've, I bought a couple of 64 gig cards, big, maybe not a big mistake, but <laughs> it means I'm shooting all week. I can, I keep putting pictures on there and I might transfer them at the end of the week. In fact, just as we were, just as I'm talking right now, I'm transferring a week's worth of shots from my, from my card uh, onto Lightroom. It takes a while for it to do it because there's so many pictures and also Lightroom's not very good at dealing with the Fuji files they just it's really slow and i wish adobe please would you guys fix that because i know that lightroom is slow generally but with the fuji um with the fuji raf raw files it is like you know i can go out to dinner and come back and my pictures are still being you know imported so please guys fix that so anyway where was i eh, working the way okay so do as i say none of this <laughs> sorry the raw files uh, are coming into Lightroom and uh, I'm bringing in the JPEGs also and I'm eventually, oh, so right, I'm transferring I'm transferring a week's worth of pictures from my camera because I'm using the 64 gig card. Uh, what the Part of the reason why I do that is I, I carry the camera around with me pretty much everywhere. And so I want to be able to perhaps access pictures maybe a couple days ago that I did, that I shot but I didn't process them and I want to put them on Instagram today. You know, uh, you know, I don't always go through and process my pictures every single day because my schedule may not allow me to. So carrying the camera around and having the week's worth of pictures with me allows me to sort of go through it, you know, while I'm on the subway, go, you know, go back through it through the camera, see what pictures like, Oh, that one's good. I didn't process it and, and, you know, send it off to my iPad and process it later or something like that. So I kind of like having that option. Again, I know I'm running the risk of if that card gets destroyed or I lose the camera, I lose those pictures. And, you know, that's kind of the risk I'm taking. When I used to shoot film, I used to carry my camera with me all the time. And I had a roll of 36 exposures in there. And, you know, back then with film, I wouldn't be shooting 10, you know, 1,500 shots. I might, I might carry an extra roll of film with me or not. But often one roll of film in the camera would be in there for however long it took me to shoot. Maybe it took me a week. And I had the same risks back then with the film. You know, if I lost the camera or the film, you know, if I opened the back of the camera and 
I wouldn't do that, but I've done that a couple of times when I was learning photography and you do that once and that's it. You don't do it again. But, you know, sometimes the back of the camera could pop open by accident and you would lose, you know, X amount of frames. So the risk was always been there for me when I was taking pictures. I wouldn't shoot a full roll of film every day and then take the film out of my camera and then go and, you know, drop it off at the lab. You know, so I, there were these things. I'm, I'm sort of going back to that in a way. Again, it's not what I would do if I was shooting a job. You know, I would take that film and I'd bring it right to the lab once I was done with it and make sure it was getting processed and dealt with. Um, but my own work, you know, I'm taking the risk. I understand the risks. I'm a big boy and I'm a professional, so I understand it. If something went wrong with the card, you know, I could lose a lot of pictures. And, you know, what I, I part of me just says, well, then that's life, you know. Sometimes when I get it, when I'm taking a shot, you know, I'm walking down the street and I see some perfect subject, right? I'm like, wow, man, he's great. And I'm walking with the camera. I go, boom, 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 boom. And I take a few shots and then, oh, okay. It was a great subject, right? And I'm walking down and I look at it and gosh darn it, the camera did not focus. You know, again, this is this issue with the, with the focus on the Fuji cameras, but it didn't focus. I lost the moment. You know, now I could have done a couple of things. I could have put it, the camera up to my face, taken the picture. You know, it would have changed the moment, obviously. There's a bunch of things different I could have done. Maybe sometimes I've gone back and reshot the subject if, you know, like it was someone sitting there and he's a really great looking person. You know, when he's sitting there, I might make an excuse to sort of walk across the street and come back and do the loop and try to take the shot again. But often I'll miss the shot sometimes. And it's not, you know, it's just, it happens. It's life. My point being is that I'm not freaking out. I would be really bummed out if the card would, you know, in fact, a couple of times I had a card read error. And I really freaked out. And I took the card out. I put a new one in. Didn't touch the card. I went back to my computer, you know, downloaded, see if I could rescue the shots, you know, and I got them. Um, so, yes, there is that risk that I'm going to lose pictures. And I'm okay with that. I'm living with it. It's the choice I'm making to do the, the kind of workflow that I'm doing. I, I'm happy with the way I'm working. And I have risks. Uh, and I'm cool with that. And I, I think if you know what your risks are and you can deal with it, then that's fine. You know, it would be a bummer if you lost the pictures, whatever. Uh, but you would deal with it again. If someone's paying you to do this, that's not the way I would work. You know, money means like I, my responsibility is to the client. My responsibility is to make sure the pictures are solid, you know, are safe. And I would not wait a week, obviously to process the pictures and take them out of the camera. I'd go home. If I had to stay up, you know, until three in the morning, get them out of the camera, I would do that. This for myself, it's a, you know, it's a different story. So yes, I've risked a little bit. I might've lost some, you know, but I've lost pictures because the camera didn't focus and I'm just like, okay, well, damn, that sucks. Uh, move on. So anyway, that's my, that's sort of my long story about, uh, my day-to-day process. Again, you know, the equipment is sort of becoming secondary in a way. Um, I love the camera. Uh, I could probably do the same job I could with uh, multiple different camera models. Uh, you know, I'd get used to their their look, you know, and, and uh, I'll be, I'd be fine with it. I'm just happy with Fuji. I hope they don't change anything. I'm probably going to be a Fuji guy for as long as they're making these cameras. Um, you know, maybe in the show notes for this long kind of – God, if you guys stuck with me, <laughs> you're great. I've been talking to nobody for 45 minutes. I mean, nobody in front of me. I'm not talking to Tom. I'm talking to you guys. So if you hung in there, that's great. But, you know, as long as as I can be doing this. Oh, what I was going to say was 
my camera has been used so much it's starting to wear down. You know, I've only had it for just over a year. And parts of the camera are getting worn down. And a little part of me is bummed out about that because I kind of like pristine equipment. And then the other part of me is like, you know what? That's what happens. The equipment is getting used. Uh, it, it's, it's performing a task. It's a tool to get to my end result. My end result are these pictures that I'm photographing that I love so much and the people that I'm shooting and I love so much. That's the point. It's not the equipment. It's the tool, you know, it's a means to an end. And the end is the is the picture, is what counts. So I'm not freaking out about the camera getting a little dinged up and stuff like that. There's a there's a little voice in me that says it's getting dinged up. You know, be nice to it. I'm not dropping it. I'm being nice to it. But, you know, but again, there's that part of me that said, that's the risk I'm taking. I'm going to do street photography. You know, the camera's going to sit out on my shoulder. It's going to bump into things a little bit, uh, you know. That's what's going to happen. So anyway, now I'm not sure if Allison, if, if you're listening to this and you might agree whether, whether or not I'm giving you my, the information that uh, I didn't give you on chit, chit chat across the pond. I'll let me know. I'm not sure what I'm missing. Uh, but this was my sort of true confessions workflow. This is my recipe for getting things done. Uh, this is an audio podcast. If it was a visual podcast, I'd go through and do a you know sort of screencast of what I uh, what I process, and maybe I'll still do that and put it up on our site. I'll let you know. But uh, for now, this is what I've been doing, and this is how the I'm getting the look I'm getting, and I'm really happy with it, and I'm so happy that I can shoot black and white or be able to make pictures in black and white that are the kind of pictures I've been longing to make for a long time. I, I've wanted to do this style of photography and, and now sort of all the pieces have come together. The processing has come together and the, and the camera has come together. And I really hope nothing in that little uh, system changes too much. You know, I'm, as long as the Snapseed is available, I'm going to be using it. Uh, I don't know if there's any other way I would do the processing. I'm sure if Snapseed went away, I'd figure something out. But right now, I've got it honed to a system that is is working for the creativity I want to uh, present. So that's it. You guys, you know, 47 minutes into this uh, podcast, this one voice talking about, you know, one thing. I hope you found it useful. Um, look, you know, you guys can find me at me and Tom. Sorry, Tom, if you're listening to this, although... <laughs> I know he's doing papers. Tom is, Tom is, you know, going to, he's back in school and he's going for, I think his doctorate. Uh, maybe he'll tell us about that in a future episode. And he's really, really busy. Uh, but he was cool with me doing this, you know, by myself. So, you know, like I said, I had the keys to the car so I could drive wherever I want. Um, anyway, you can find me and Tom at the, on our website, which is switchtomanual.com. And from there, you can get links to, we're on Facebook. We, we'd like you to, you know, if you guys are Facebook fans, you know, join us there. And we have a, a Flickr group, and we are on Twitter at switch, the number two manual, so switch to manual. And where else can you find us? Uh, oh, you know, we're doing our podcast, and this is the last year, pod, the last episode of the year. Uh this is today's December 23rd. Hopefully I'll get this out before Christmas and uh, you guys have something to listen to. And also uh, I want to push, uh, we have now portfolio reviews on our site. So 
If you want the Switch to Manual guys, me or Tom, to look at your pictures and give you some sort of neutral advice and ideas about your shots, you know, take a look at our, our portfolio reviews. We do have a free version, so if you want to just try us out, hear how we sound. If I think we sound pretty good, by the way. Uh, but you can give us a you know give us a quick test. We'll you know send us one shot and we'll give you a quick audio review about that. And then if you like it, you know you can use one of the other three reviews um, for you know for money. <laughs> we're trying to we're trying to earn some money on our site. So, but I uh, we've already had a few of the reviews and they're really good. So uh, give us a try on the portfolio reviews. Also, we're selling our book, the Manual on Manual that we wrote just a little book about if you want to shoot manual and uh, we have some sample chapters you can download for free, but if you like the book, you can buy it on our site as well. So let's see, that's it for now. I want to say happy holidays to everybody and happy new year. You'll probably hear from us sometime in January. So uh, we're going to be dark for a little while and uh, hope you enjoyed this and you know, you got any tips and questions, just uh, email us at info at switchtomanual.com or send us a tweet. So thanks for hanging in there with me. And I hope, you, you know, those of you who listened found this helpful. And I will see you next year. See you later. Adios. Adios.